Welcome to Threshold Church. Father, we just lift up this time right now. Just join me in prayer. Let's just pray for a couple minutes. Father, we lift up this time. God, this time in your word, this time where you are releasing your word, God, not only to the people in this room, but Lord, to this region. God, I thank you for a word that impacts uh, the, the, the region, Lord, that impacts the heavenly realms, that impacts the spiritual forces in this region. God, I thank you. I declare that the kingdom of heaven is at hand right here in this place. I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus is King. I thank you for your blood that we just celebrated and remembered through communion. I thank you that you gave of your body to draw us near to you. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move among us. Spirit of the living God, you are welcome to move through this time. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit, God, to be released, to fall upon this place, God, every person in this room. And God, that you would send your holy angels on assignment, God, in accordance with your word today. I declare your authority in this place, King Jesus. I declare your order, your authority, your word prevails. God, I ask you to release a word today, Lord, that will send confusion to the enemy and that will set captives free, God. God, it will displace powers of darkness and it will break the shackles and set prisoners free today in the name of Jesus. I thank you for the power of your word, that your word is living, it's active. I pray that it would be sharp today, sharper than a two-edged sword today, God, in this place. God, would you breathe upon your word? Would you open up hearts, open up eyes, open up ears to receive? God, I pray that this would be a time, an evening, a word that would shift things in this region. As we are gathered here, God, for a regional revival night, God, a time of seeking your face, encountering you. So, Father, we just ask, I ask for a sensitivity to your presence, that your Holy Spirit would be tangible even more so. And he already is. I pray for the very atmosphere of this place to be filled with the tangible presence and glory of God. I pray for the atmosphere to be filled with the reverence and holy fear of the Lord. That your word would hit the mark today, God, to accomplish what you have purposed for it to accomplish, God. Whatever you intend for your word to accomplish, let your word prevail And so, Heavenly Father, we give you this time. I thank you for this time. For what you're going to do through this time. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you have your Bible with you, turn to the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible in the New Testament. If you if you need a Bible, there are some underneath the seats. You can probably find one there if you want to grab one from the chair in front of you. You could probably find some underneath there. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 18. We're going to be there. I'll probably get there in a couple minutes, but just you can begin to turn there. Revelation chapter 2. The Lord put a message on my heart. It's actually about a month or so ago. I, I might share a little bit about the story behind it as I go. We'll see how tonight goes. But uh, the Lord put a message on my heart tonight called Dethroning Jezebel. 
dethroning Jezebel. And if you're wondering what in the world does that mean and how's that apply to my life, just hold on to your seats. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Dethroning Jezebel. I believe this message is going to have personal application, but I also believe it is a word that is being released into the region. I just believe that. When God gave it to me, um, I believe that it was, it was to be released um, it, to impact this region. So it's going to impact people, but also do something, I believe, um, of pushing back darkness. So just a couple points before we dive into the scripture, just, just for clarity's sake, um, before we dive in. So as I'm going to be getting into this whole topic of, of Jezebel, um, first of all, I've actually, I don't, think, I don't think I've ever preached a message on Jezebel. I have done deliverance for 17 years. I hardly talk about Jezebel because I don't like sometimes there's like fads in the church and like, you know, people kind of latch on to something and it, you know, sells a bunch of books. And, you know, Jezebel has been kind of one of those things where you, there's lots of books and teachings. At the same time, there is a legitimate, there's a legitimate teaching, a legitimate, there is a spirit of Jezebel. I have cast it out before. There is a demonic spirit. Um, so, so, uh, but it's not something I've talked a lot about because, again, I don't like just to latch on to something for the sake of, of latching onto it or because it's like a trendy thing in the charismatic realm. Um, but the Lord has put this on my heart for tonight. So just a couple of things for clarity. One, when I'm speaking about Jezebel, I'm not talking about strong women tonight. Okay? I'm not talking about women who are leaders. We believe in empowering women. We value women. We, we empower women. We believe. Um, and so I'm not talking about, like, Women who just have, are gifted in leadership or who are like strong. I'm not talking about that tonight. Um, just FYI, men can also have a Jezebel spirit. It's pretty bad. Um, and then also, I think it's important to say as I'm diving into this, I'm actually going to be referring to Jezebel more as something that's more influencing a culture more than like an individual with a, quote, Jezebel spirit. I'm actually referring to Jezebel more in the realm of like a principality that is influencing a culture, a nation, and a region, if that makes sense. More so than like an individual, oh, that person has a jet. Like, I'm not talking about that side of it. I'm talking about cultural, uh, regional. Uh, the Bible talks about principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. I'm talking about more like that and how that impacts people in a given region, how that's impacting people in this region. And then also just need to say this is not going to be an exhaustive message as I was preparing, as I was writing some notes down. I was like, man, I could probably preach for three hours tonight. Um, I don't know that that's the Lord's plan, though. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. So it's not going to be an exhaustive message because I, I can't just cover everything. So we'll, we'll see how the Holy Spirit leads. I want to be sensitive to his leading. So turn in your Bible to Revelation 2 if you haven't turned there yet. Revelation 2, starting at verse 18. I'm, I'm going to be reading this from the ESV here. And then I'll later be in the uh, New King James. This is in the middle of Jesus um, giving letters to churches. There's seven churches in the book of Revelation that Jesus is releasing words to, messages to, and some of it's encouragement and some of it's correction. But these are, these are words to the churches at that time. And now they obviously apply to us as well because they're recorded in Scripture. And so he says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira, I don't know if that's how you say it, but so I'm pronouncing it. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance 
and that your latter works exceed the first. All right, so that's pretty good encouragement. That's a pretty good statement. That's a pretty good declaration of things that are going well in this church. He says, I know your works. You know, I know that you are giving yourself to, to good works. I know your love, your faith, the way you're serving, the way you're ministering, the way you're enduring patiently, opposition and trials, right? And so he's, and, and he says, your latter works are even more than, than at first. I believe in many ways you could say those things about the church in Lancaster. I believe in many ways in the church in Lancaster, Jesus might look and say similar things. Your, your love for one another, your, your serving. We're, we're a place that's known for serving and working hard and, 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 and enduring things, right? But then verse 20, I have this against you. I have this against you that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. I will give to each of you according to your works. Let me pause there for a second. Who is saying these words? Thank you. Yes. The Lord Jesus. This is Jesus Christ saying these words. These are very strong words, obviously. And there's a reason for it. We're going to get to it in a little bit. But these are very strong words. I will throw her onto a sickbed. And those who are connected with her, those who have committed adultery with her, or who are in union with her, right? I will strike her children dead. The churches will know that I am he who searches heart and mind. Look at verse 24. To the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan... To you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. This is the only thing that this church, that he wanted to deal with. He says, you know what? you got to deal with this. The rest of you who aren't involved and connected in this, I'm not even going to put any other burden on you. This is the only thing that needed to be dealt with. This is the only thing that needed to be rooted out in this area of the, of the church. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations. That's how important it is that we overcome and see Jezebel dethroned. I'll give you authority over the nations. It will, be, it will cause national and international ripple effect. You have authority over the nations. And then he quotes from the Old Testament, He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So as Jesus is speaking to this church in Thyatira, Again, he talks about your love, your service, your good works. But then he, he pinpoints an area where there needs to be repentance. And he says, you tolerate, you allow, you permit that woman Jezebel. I don't believe that he was actually referring to a literal woman. 
I don't think so. I mean, maybe so. Maybe it's both and. I believe there's more of a spiritual significance to this. Why? Because in the previous letter, he talks about Balaam. And he says something very similar. He says, you have those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who, who uh, put a stumbling block in front of my people and cause them to um, eat food sacrificed to idols and commit sexual immorality, which is the same thing Jezebel did. And so I don't think he was re- he's not referring to the literal person Balaam there because he died centuries ago. And I don't necessarily believe he's referring to a literal person of Jezebel, although maybe there could have been an actual person that was carrying that same spirit in their midst that was causing this. But he's connecting it to the person of Jezebel in the Old Testament. Because you'll see a lot of similarities in what, how he described Jezebel working and how we read about Jezebel working in the Old Testament. So I want to I run through some things. I want to talk about who, who is Jezebel? What's Jezebel's history? What is Jezebel's history? And then what are, what are the areas that Jezebel influences in culture today? And then what's the end? What's the demise of Jezebel? Okay, so Jezebel's history. You read this in 1 Kings. 1 Kings 16, 29 to 34. It says, In the 30th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. This is one of the kings of Israel. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal, And worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. Ahab made a wooden image, an Asherah, it's another false god. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. That's a big statement. There was a lot of kings who did some wicked things. There was a lot of kings who worshipped idols, but nobody was as wicked as Ahab up until this point, and he was specifically provoked and stirred and influenced through his marriage to this woman named Jezebel, who Jezebel was a daughter, it says his name is Ethbel, who was a king of the Sidonians, and he was also a priest of the false god Baal. He was a priest and a king and Jezebel was his daughter, and through some political reason or some you know, political union or something that they were trying to do, I, we don't know the details, but maybe it was a good you know, deal for them politically or something, they ended up uniting. Jezebel ends up marrying uh, Ahab, and Ahab is a weak and passive leader who essentially lets Jezebel take over. Here's the, here's the truth. Jezebel can only function where Ahab is in charge. Jezebel can only operate and function and thrive where Ahab is in charge because Jezebel goes for authority, goes to usurp authority from those who are in positions of authority. And so Jezebel gets alongside and is in covenant now with with, uh, Ahab. And it says that that she is um, leading him and, and seducing him and drawing him into the worship of the false god called Baal. The false god called Baal was one of the most prominent false gods in the Old Testament. One of the most prominent false gods of the Old Testament. You see it throughout different places in the Old Testament, all the way back in, um, you know, the first when the the children of Israel first came out of Egypt. 
When they first were kind of in their journey in the wilderness, you see it then, you see it later with Gideon, you see it all throughout Israel's history. They were drawn to worship this false god called Baal. Who is Baal? What what type of false god was Baal? Like I said, he's one of the most prominent false gods in Scripture. He was a Canaanite and Phoenician god of fertility, rain, sun, storm. And he was considered the, quote, master of all gods. I believe it's really a type of Satan. It's a type of of Satan himself, the master of all gods. The one who is leading the kingdom of darkness and the false god. You have to understand, behind every idol there is a demon. You have to understand, behind every false god there is a demonic power. In the world today, behind every idolatry, behind every false religion, behind every false god, there is a demonic power that is there to, to keep it going, to establish it. And I believe Satan is behind Baal. We, well, we know he is, but I believe it's more of a type of, of Satan himself. It says in 1 Kings 21-25, it said, There was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Now, I actually believe that the passivity that is culturally ingrained into this very region, actually makes a place for Jezebel to function. I believe that the the passive spirit, that Ahab mentality, which is passivity, which is weak leadership, which is not stepping into authority, which is fear of, of true leadership, this actually is a cultural stronghold in Lancaster County. I don't know if you know that or not. And every region has its own cultural strongholds. I'm not saying this to to speak negative about Lancaster. Every area, every culture, every city has different areas that have strongholds. And one of those in this region is passivity. Which makes place for Jezebel to have influence in this culture and in this region. Did you know that in the history of Lancaster, in the history of the Anabaptist church, a lot of, a lot of Lancaster County uh, it has, has Anabaptist roots. So it's Mennonite, Amish, Church of the Brethren, Brethren in Christ. Those are all come from what's called Anabaptist background. And did you know that the Anabaptists in their early days were revivalists? of their time, they were actually spirit-filled revivalists. They actually believed in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They actually believed in the prophetic. They actually believed in in the fire of the Holy Spirit. They were persecuted during the Reformation because they believed in water baptism by immersion. Whereas the the other Protestants who broke away, like Luther and and, and the other Reformers, they still practiced some of the Catholic beliefs. They still practiced, um, like, infant baptism. And so the Anabaptists actually broke away from that tradition and they started baptizing people at conversion, which is actually the biblical pattern. It's actually what we see in the scriptures. So the Anabaptists were persecuted by the Catholics and the Protestants. And many of them were actually killed and put to death. 
and persecuted. And they were, and they, and they were filled with the Holy They believed in the, the baptism of the Spirit and the fire of God. Did you know this about your history? Did you know this? Those that come from an Anabaptist background, I know many of you in this room come from that kind of a background. Fiery revivalists. Did you know that when, when, when the Anabaptists came to this nation and to this area, they actually were being persecuted again and they took a vow of silence. They essentially took a vow of silence that said, we, we will be quiet, we will stop evangelizing, we will stop preaching, we'll just keep to ourselves, and then we'll avoid persecution. They made a deal with the devil. That's what it was. They didn't know it was that. They didn't see it as that. They just thought, we'll just be quiet. We'll just keep to ourselves. We'll just, we won't bother anybody. They won't bother us. We won't preach the gospel. We won't, we won't evangelize. We won't be mission. We'll just keep to ourselves. We'll take a vow of silence. Do you know that that's in the history of this, na- in this region of Lancaster County? Do you know, may- maybe that's one of the reasons why there's, there's, there's such a struggle on the voice of people, on the voice of people, even of speaking out and declaring things and praying with authority and praising with authority in this region. Do you know how hard it is in this region to break through into praise and, and, and intercession and prayer? Why is that? Because this is in the ground here. This is in the region here. This is a, this is a generational stronghold that needs to be broken. It's coming down tonight. People are getting delivered from it tonight, from, the, from a vow of silence over your voice. Setting your voice free. See, there was a, they, they took on a passive spirit. Took on a passive spirit. And a passive spirit makes place for a spirit of Jezebel to usurp and take control. Jezebel looks for a void of authority. When there is a void of authority, she seeks to fill it. Ahab was a void. He wasn't fulfilling his function as a king. And because of the void of authority, she was able to usurp and control and dominate. Now, I want to go over some of the things that she influences because this is where it begins to connect to us more. Everyone doing okay? I want to talk about some of the... So we talked about Jezebel's history a little bit. I mean, just very, very brief. I want to talk about Jezebel's tentacles in culture. Some of the ways that Jezebel influences culture. I'm going to run through several. And there's, there's a lot more we could cover, but I'm going to just... I picked like, th- I think, four or so. Uh, so the first one is this. Opposition to the true prophetic voice of God. Opposition to the true prophetic voice of God. Notice notice it says in Revelation, you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Calls herself a prophet. She's a self-proclaimed. Not God-anointed, not God-appointed, not recognized by by, um, you know, by, by God's people as a prophet. She calls herself a prophetess. So we need to be careful that we don't take on things that God has not given us. That we don't take on to ourselves areas. There is prophets. There is, a po- there is evangelists. There is, but those giftings are given by God. Nobody can claim that without God. God calls. God, then there's a preparation. Then there's a season of waiting. And then it's affirmed in the, in, the, in the body of believers. That's a process you see in the New Testament. You don't see people just appointing themselves. So she called herself. She appointed herself as a prophetess. But notice her history. 
that one of the biggest things she did was try to wipe out the true prophets of Israel. Not only did she do that, then she raised up a false prophetic system in its place. Let me show you this. 1 Kings 18. We're going to be kind of all over the place. Not all over the place, but we're going to be in a bunch of scriptures. So if you have trouble keeping up, maybe re-listen to it later this week and dig in. Because i got to move. i got to move. 1 Kings 18, verse 4. I'm going to pull out some scriptures so you can see this. It says, for, for it was, well, this is Obadiah speaking. Obadiah was a, one of the governors under Ahab. And he's interacting with uh, Elijah here, it says. Uh, and it says, so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, or other translations say cut off the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and fed them bread and water. While Jezebel massacred, cut off, Murdered, killed the prophets. Obadiah took as many as he could to try to save them, try to keep them. Okay, look at verse 13. Here, here's actually where Obadiah is speaking himself. That wasn't Obadiah speaking. That was just the text. Here's Obadiah speaking. Was it not reported to my Lord, talking to Elijah, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? So again, we see what, what is Jezebel doing? Targeting the prophets. Targeting the prophetic voice. Targeting those who have the word of the Lord, the one true living God. Trying to get rid of them. Trying to cut them off. Trying to kill them. And so Obadiah begins to try to protect them and keep them fed and keep them alive, essentially. But notice what it says in verse 19. Now this is Elijah saying this. This is, this is leading up to the whole showdown on Mount Carmel. We're not going to get into that as much today, but... But notice, notice what it says in verse 19. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. What does that mean? Jezebel literally funded the false prophetic movement in that time. She literally funded it. She literally fed it. Do you know how much tax money was used? Literally, 850 false prophets, 450 of Baal and 400 of Asherah. Maybe I mixed them up. I think it was that, that order. 450 of Baal, 400 of Asherah. 850 are eating at Jezebel's table. That means she is providing for them. She is feeding them. She is funding them. She literally raises up a false prophetic system in Israel. This is not happening in Canaanite land. This is not happening in other nations. This is happening in the nation of Israel, God's people. And so notice that the way that she opposed the true prophetic voice of the Lord is to get rid of true prophets and then in their place raise up a false prophetic system of those who are prophesying by Baal, false god, Asherah, false god, corruption. So much corruption, it's unimaginable. Opposing the prophetic voice of the Lord. Now, let me just maybe give a little bit of backstory of why we're here right now, why, we're, why, why, why this word's even being released, how the Holy Spirit's been speaking about it. God's been confirming this and speaking about it for the last about month and a half. So last week, if you were here, we actually, we actually anointed and commissioned a group of people, a prophetic company. You guys remember that? 
Uh, if you were here last week, we laid hands on, we commissioned a group of, uh, of six people that we are uh, commissioning to be part of this group called a prophetic company that's going to be working together to hear the voice of the Lord. To discern. I'm not saying they're the only prophetic people in our church body. I know there's others that are, have prophetic giftings, of course, but these were six that we felt led to, to start with and, and have a group together that are going to be discerning things and watchmen on the walls and intercessors and, and, and hearing and declaring. And we are contending for a pure prophetic stream in this time. There's been so much pollution in the prophetic ministry of our day. There's been so much corruption that has crept in to the charismatic realm, to the Pentecostal movements, to the, to the prophetic stream. There's been so much mixture of, of greed and immorality and corruption coming in. We are contending for a pure prophetic stream. And God is speaking about that, and God is confirming that. And so a couple months ago, maybe a month and a, month and a week or something like that, sometime in September, early September, we had a meeting with, with the prophetic company and it was before any of them had just said yes to. We had an informational meeting of, of those that were going to be considered and going to be discerning. And that week, multiple people on that group came under a heavy demonic attack, like, like bizarre type things, like, like, I mean, just crazy type demonic assignments and attacks that came in. And, and when I started beginning to hear this one and, and then I heard another one and, 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 and we we're about to have our meeting with this group and one of the ladies was sharing with me what happened just you know, the, the day before and just this demonic assignment that came against, against her. And, and I'm comparing notes to another situation. I'm like, this is like the same type of attack. Like what, what's? And all of a sudden, it just came to me. It just dropped into my spirit. You know, when God speaks sometimes, you just know something. It just comes with clarity. It just comes with like, whoom. It just came. All of a sudden, this phrase, this, this came to my mind. Who's the enemy of the prophets? It's Jezebel. Who's the enemy of the prophets? It's Jezebel. I pulled up my Bible and I pulled up 1 Kings. I'm looking at this. I mean, I'm kind of almost tearing up as I'm, people are starting to get ready to eat and a meeting's about to start. And I'm like, I didn't, nobody knew yet. I'm just like, I got something, guys. Hold on. <laughs> like, um, and so that night, you know, we prayed. I, I released this just declaration, this prayer. It really resonated with the group. Something was lifting off certain ones and, you could, and God was really on it. And then over the next couple, several days, it became crystal clear and God was confirming. I, I, I could talk for the next hour about different confirmations. I won't do that. God was making it really clear that, that, was one of the, that that's what was going on here. That there is a pure stream that God is birthing. God is releasing. See, Jezebel wants the prophets in the cave. Jezebel wants the true prophets in the cave. And he wants the false prophets given prominence. That's what he wants. That's what she wants. He, she, it's a, it, whatever. There's some things I'm just going to speak tonight. I'm just going to declare tonight because I just need to say some things. And it might not even impact anybody, but it's going to impact the spiritual realm. In this house, the prophets are welcome, the true prophets. In this house, the true prophets of the Lord are welcome. At Threshold Church, true prophets are welcome, are received. In this house, there will be a prophetic voice of the Lord, and the prophets will not be hidden in caves. In this house, the prophetic voices will be covered and protected. And they will not be targets of Jezebel. They will not be targets of the witchcraft that she releases. 
They will be covered and hidden and protected. They will not be hiding in caves. You see, Jezebel hates purity. Jezebel hates purity. Jezebel hates the pure word of God, the pure word of the Lord. The Bible says the word of the Lord is pure, refined seven times. The Bible says that God's word is like living and active, a two-edged sword. Jezebel hates the word of God. Jezebel hates the pure word of God. Jezebel hates repentance. Jezebel hates holiness, integrity, righteousness, truth, love. Jezebel hates authority, legitimate authority, order. Jezebel hates revival. The week after this whole incident happened, as I'm praying and processing, I was reminded of a book I had read three or four months earlier by Kim Owens called Doorkeepers of Revival. And I was like, you know what? I'm pretty sure in that book she talked about, you know, doing spiritual battle. And in there, this is a church in Arizona that has been experiencing, you know, a sustained move of God. Uh, they're, they're in um, seasons of revival. And, and there's a book that she wrote called Doorkeepers of Revival. And I remember she talked about the journey of them contending and pressing and, and some of the warfare they experienced. I'm like, you know, I need, I need to go back to that. So I pulled the book off and I was shocked when I read this. I'm reading this quote from Kim Owens. It is my belief and experience that many do not sustain revival due to the continued barrage of demonic attacks against a revival culture. The goal of revival is the sustained presence and power of God that results in transformation. This presence and power that we're contending for isn't nominal. It is fullness. All that God has and nothing less. This is what we're going for, guys. This is what we're going for. All that God is, all that God has, nothing less. We're not settling for anything less. The devil will let you remain nominal, but begin to reach for fullness and he'll send out the troops. And Jezebel is usually leading them. The next phrase she has in italics, Jezebel hates revival. Many have suffered defeat at the hands of this wicked spirit. She goes on and talks about different scenarios. I was like, Okay, ding, 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 ding. Again, I could tell you more and more. You see, in this, in this region, again, when I, when I talk about regional things, it's not to be, I love Lancaster County. I really do. Lived here for almost 10 years. That's amazing. Coming up in December. That means like, you know, for most people, you have to be here for like generations and generations and generations, but but I got in early. (laughs) So I love this region. But one of the things, there's a religious spirit in this region that resists the move of the Holy Spirit and resists the prophetic voice. There is. In this, there's, there's, Whether it's by belief systems that say, well, you know, God doesn't do those things anymore. God doesn't speak that way. You know, know, all those gifts that we see in the Bible, those those aren't around anymore. Those don't happen. It's a false teaching. It's a false teaching. Or, you know, we don't need that stuff. We don't, you know, we don't, we don't need to um, have the, the, the prophetic or it, it, it's too messy. You know, it causes this or that. And yes, it, it can be messy and we have to have order. It's balanced by order and, 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 and God's word and all that kind of stuff, right? But, but there's a religious spirit that resists the move of the Holy Spirit that God is wanting to uproot. Here's the thing. 
we, this church body, this church family, or you in your home, or your, we actually get to set the tone for the culture of God's kingdom. We do not have to be subject to the prevailing culture around us. Did you know that? You don't, you don't have to be subject to the prevailing culture. Just because this place is known for a, quote, religious spirit, that we don't have to be bound by legalism there. We don't have to be bound by, by ritualism or traditionalism. Just because this place is known for passivity. Guess what? God wants to release a roar out of Lancaster County. God wants to release praise and his power and his word out of Lancaster County. We do not have to be subject to the prevailing spirits and the principalities and the culture that's around us. He's given us authority to bind and to loose according to his kingdom. According to what he says is true. According to what his word declares. So that's the first influence of this first tentacle of Jezebel. Here's the second one. It's actually pretty closely related to the, the false prophetic movement. It's witchcraft. This is one of the characteristics of the influence of Jezebel in a region is witchcraft in a nation, in a culture. 2 Kings 9.22, this is when, uh, when Jehu, who was anointed king after Ahab and was called to actually get rid of the house of Ahab and to bring judgment on Jezebel. His name is Jehu. Here's what happened. It happened when Joram, I believe that's Jezebel's uh, and Ahab's son, when Joram saw Jehu, he said, Is it peace, Jehu? So he answered, what peace, as long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many? See, Jezebel was a literal witch. I mean, that, that's what gave her power. See, I mean, she was worshiping. When, when, when people give themselves to worship false gods, when people give, like, there's a close relationship to idolatry and in the occult realm, witchcraft and sorcery. And there's a, you can't have, you can't, if you're involved in the occult, you are involved in idolatry. You can't, they're, they're, they go hand in hand because you are worshiping a false god. And Jezebel set up a temple for Baal and prophesied by Baal and raised up prophets of Baal. Raised up, these are basically sorcerers. These are basically witches. She's basically raising up witches in Israel. And, 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 and that's why Jehu said, how can there be peace as long as the harlotries and the witchcraft of your mother is so many, so much? Jezebel operated in witchcraft, and it was so, it was actually power, it actually had carried power. How do I know? Look at the effect it had on Elijah. Remember when Elijah um, did the whole Mount Carmel, 1 Kings 18, and the false prophets of Baal and Asherah, and he sets up the altar, if you know the story, and, and the prophets of Baal were crying out day after, you know, um, hour after hour, nothing happens, and then Elijah calls down fire from heaven, he prays, and God sends fire. Well, after this whole incident, he, he actually slaughters um, all the prophets of Baal. 450 prophets of Baal, he, he gets rid of, he brings God's judgment on them. And what happens though next? Jezebel hears about this and she's not very happy. And so it says that she sends a messenger and says to him, basically, this is going to happen to you. What you did to them is going to happen to you. I'm paraphrasing it. This is now Elijah, the mighty prophet of God. And he literally starts running. After he just confronted 
400 prophets of, of Asherah and 450 of Baal. He has this incredible victory. And now this, this, because this is coming with demonic power, this is coming with witchcraft, coming against him. And he, and, and he is depressed. He is despairing of his own life. He's saying, God, I'm no better than anybody else. Just take my life. I should just die. These are the kind of things when you come under a demonic attack of witchcraft, discouragement, heaviness, cloudiness, confusion, lack of vision. Those are the kind of things that we feel despair when we come under an attack of a witchcraft assignment. So Jezebel is a principality that is over the occult realm and witchcraft. Influencing that in our culture. Have you noticed how the influence of witchcraft is becoming more and more in your face in this nation? Have you noticed that? How the influence, all you have to do is go to a bookstore. Go to Barnes and Noble. And see what is presented in front of you when you walk through the doors. You can see the children's section with books on witchcraft and demonic and, um, spells and curses. All these things literally targeted to children. Look at the movies that are being put out. Look what Disney is putting out. First of all, we should have canceled Disney years ago. Why are we just, why are we, why are we just doing it now? Here's what happens. When you tolerate it for a little bit, it takes more ground. And we tolerated it when it was just a little bit, when it was just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Now it's more in our faces. Who did this? We did it. We allowed it. We tolerated Jezebel. We tolerated it in our homes. We tolerated it in our entertainment. We tolerated it. And we, have, we did not take the authority we have as the people of God. And see, what does Jezebel want? Compromise. Compromise. Because when the people of God compromise, they lose their saltiness, they lose their authority, and they can't change the culture. It neutralizes the people of God. And so now we're in a situation where witchcraft has been around for centuries, millennia. I mean, since I mean, God, I mean, God warned Israel about it in the, in the law. Don't do this. Don't practice witchcraft. Don't practice sorcery. Some of the strongest words of judgment are against witchcraft or against sorcery, or against dabbling in the magic arts and the occult. And, and, and God condemns it soundly over and over again in the Bible. And see, here, here's what has happened in our culture over the last 50, 60 years. Things that used to only happen underground are now coming up to the surface. It's been happening all along. You know, in the 1960s, the satanic church, was so-called church, was started. I don't know how many members it has. I'm sure hundreds of thousands, millions. I don't know. I don't, I don't pay attention to it that much. But, 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 but it's, it's, and here's what happens. It presents itself publicly as a whitewash, as, oh, what don't we even really believe that Satan's real? What don't we even, what don't we even, no, we, we just use that name. Really? You just happen to use the name Satan? But you don't believe he's actually real? He's just a figment or he's just, you know, he just represents your true self or something? No, they worship the devil. And they do it behind closed doors and they use rituals and sacrifices. And they hate the people of God. 
There are people that meet in this region and they'll be up all throughout the night releasing curses, releasing rituals overnight. And they'll meet for hours and hours and hours and we can't get people to meet in a church for more than an hour. And we wonder why we're not gaining ground. We wonder why the enemy is taking territory. See, because so many have been ignorant blind or ignorant to the reality of of this spiritual realm. What is witchcraft? Let me just give some definition real quick. If you want to know more about this, come to the deliverance service this month. I'm going to be talking more about deliverance in the occult, but I just want to give a little bit of clarity here. What is witchcraft? Essentially, witchcraft is the use of spiritual power to control people or circumstances. That's essentially what it boils down to at a foundational level. There's many ways that this can happen. But witchcraft is the use of spiritual power to control. That's what witchcraft is about, control. To control people or to control circumstances. And witchcraft can happen in many ways. Paul said in Galatians, it's actually a work of the flesh. It can actually just be a work of the flesh, where we want to try to control somebody or control circumstances. Um, it can be, you know, it, it, it can start like that. It can be rebellion. The Bible says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It can come through people that aren't even realizing they're engaging in those types of things because they're, they're in rebellion. They're wanting to control. They're releasing slander, false accusations. They don't even realize it. And then you have, you have all those things. Then you have intentional witchcraft, where people are actually engaged in the activities on a small scale, on a big scale, meeting in groups and covens, right? So it's all, the, that's a big spectrum that is covered in like three minutes. But, but let, me, let, me, let me show you how Christian, listen, there's, sometimes the way Christians pray is actually like witchcraft. Let me give you an example. Let's say, let's say there's, I'm just making this story up. This is not a real story, but it could, it could, it could be real. Let's say there's a guy who, you know, there's a there's a guy who has interest in, in in another girl and says, "Man, I want to date that girl. I want to I want us to get married. I think she's the one for me. I think she, you know." And and so he starts, you know, pursuing the girl, and you know, they they go on a date or two, and um and 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 she's like, "No, you know, she." We call it what the friend zone. Is that am I allowed to say that? Puts him in the friend zone. Um, she says, "No, I'm I'm not, I'm not interested in more than a friendship. I'm not interested in a in a relationship, right?" And so then let's say that guy, now this, this is not a believer here. This is, let's just begin in this story. Let's say he goes to a, um, a psychic shop or a spiritualist place and says, hey, how much do I have to pay you if you will make this girl that I'm interested in um, fall in love with me? And, and so, and so they, you know, he, oh, it'll cost $200 and I'll do this. Whatever the person does, whatever spell, whatever charm, whatever thing gets released, whatever post. This happens, people. This happens. Not, you know, this is common culture in Haiti and Africa and South America. It's common culture. It happens here, too. The person goes to the witch doctor, goes to the witch, goes to the spiritualist and says, I'll pay you $300 and you'll make this other lady fall in love with me, right? Okay, now let me tell you the Christian version of that we got to be careful how we pray sometimes. Here's the Christian version of this. Let's say a person's a believer. 
And the person, same scenario, you know, falls in love with a girl and wants, wants the girl to like him. And she's like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not interested in that. And then he, you know, he, she makes it clear, like, no, this is just, no, I'm not interested in a relationship. And then he starts praying to God and saying, oh, God, please make so-and-so fall in love with me. Do you know what that is? It's called witchcraft. That's actually praying witchcraft. You are trying to use spiritual power to control another person and override their personal boundary. It's the same thing spiritually, but probably even worse. Because you're actually doing it as a believer, appealing to God to try to use him to get what you want. Are you hearing me? Does this make sense? I should probably do a whole teaching on this sometime. Because we've got to be careful sometimes what we're praying. There can be there can be prayers that get prayed that are not God's plans. Listen, when we know God's word and know God's will, we can pray strong prayers according to God's will. We can pray with authority. We can pray. But you, you cannot just pray your own desires. Prayer is not magic. Prayer is not you getting what you want. God is not a genie. It's relationship, and it respects other people, their personhood. And if that person said, no, I don't, I'm, I don't want to get into a relationship with you. You don't start praying for God to make them fall in love with me. That's just, no, that's the same as like going to the witch. Like, does it make sense? We could talk a lot more. But so many believers in the West have been so ignorant to the reality of witchcraft, how do I know? Look at how many look at how many Christian homes they read Harry Potter in. What is Harry Potter? Witchcraft for children. Witchcraft 101. Worse, it's introducing young people to it. I don't want to hear about well, it's a good story and it has this and that. It's redemptive. It's not redemptive. It's demonic. It is literally making witchcraft appealing to our children. And the reason why Christians are like, oh, it's not big deal, because they don't even realize what witchcraft is. They don't realize how real it is. How many, how many believers just think, oh, you know, it's, it's just a story. It's just this. It's just that. How many believers just go along with the world uh, culture when it comes to Halloween? Just, oh, come on. It's just fun. I'm just dressing my kids up. I'm just, I'm just doing that. I'm just, this is my one chance to say it. I'm going to say it. Christians have no business celebrating Halloween. None. None. It is. It is a celebration of fear, death, demons, witches, and witchcraft. Why would we want to have anything to do with it? What are we doing? Do you have any idea? Do you know that people that are functioning in Satanism and witchcraft, they take that day very seriously. They take it very seriously. Talk to anybody that's come out of the occult realm. It is their, it's their highest day of doing rituals and doing sacrifices and doing all the things they, that, that they want to do. And the devil loves it when believers are just falling asleep Losing our saltiness and just engaging in it. Do you know what I'm doing on Halloween? I'm casting out demons. (laughs) 
You can come too. I'll be at Gateway House of Prayer, literally. It's the third year in a row we've had a deliverance service on Halloween. It's happening at Gateway House of Prayer, 7 o'clock, October 31st, Reformation Day. It's the day the Reformation started. The devil doesn't get to have a day. He doesn't have a day. But people that are in that realm, in darkness, in witchcraft, in satanic stuff, believe me, they take that day very seriously. People that have come out of it, they know what goes on. This could be a tangent. But you know what doesn't, you know what doesn't belong in our region? This is going to be completely random, but it's connecting. Do you know what doesn't belong in our region? Field of Screams. Does not belong in this region. And it's an indictment on the church that it's been here for 30 years. Have you seen the signs? What do the signs say? 30 years of harvesting fear. That's what the sign says. Where have we been? What have we, we have, here's the thing, we allow this stuff. We allow it. I mean, the devil is laughing. Do you know that the people who own that business are professing believers? See, it just, it, 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 it's a, it makes a mockery. I don't care what you call yourself. You're partnering with the devil. I don't care what church you attend. Okay? That, that thing has to come down. That thing has to come down. That thing, has to, that, that thing is not welcome in this region. It's not welcome and it's tormenting children. You, you know what's been happening at the fairs around this, around this region in the last couple months? Last month or so, I mean, people dressed up as demons running after kids. Kids are freaking out and screaming from, that, from Field of Screams Fair. There's no business, no business. But we, because of compromise and because of fear and because of passivity and because of even involvement, we allow these things to happen. Not anymore. Not anymore. God is raising up a prophetic church. God is raising up an apostolic church. The gates of hell, he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I, I believe with all my heart that field of screams, days are numbered. I don't know when or how, but God's going to show us. So please, I want to just appeal. Believers, those who are believers, which is a lot of the people in this room, probably most of the people in this room, those who are believers, listen, we cannot have fellowship with darkness. Like we cannot just put our toe in the water of this. Okay, we, we cannot think it's okay to listen to music that is fueled by demonic spirits or watch entertainment that is filled with this stuff. We, we are participating. Paul says that don't participate in the deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It neutralizes us. A compromised church has no influence. And those that, are, those that are witches, if anyone happens to hear this or see this, um, it never ends well. It never ends well. I just repent. Repent before it's too late. 
those that are getting involved in witchcraft, those that are releasing curses against God's people, it, is, it, it never ends well. I better get to the third one. This is a big one. We're talking about Jezebel's tentacles in society. This is a big one. Sexual immorality. What did it say in Revelation? That she teaches and seduces my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols, idolatry. Targeting specifically the people of God. You hear, she teaches and seduces my servants, God's servants, God's people into sexual immorality. Not only is Jezebel the principality above witchcraft, but also above perversion, immorality, pornography, every type of sexual immorality you could think of. And targeting God's people seduces my servants. I'm not old enough to remember the 1960s. I wasn't alive. But I know the story or the history enough to know what, what's called the sexual revolution. Drastically influenced the culture of this time, it, of, of this nation. It doesn't mean there wasn't sexual sin before. It doesn't mean there wasn't adultery happening. Of course, I mean, sin has been happening. But as on a cultural scale, on a cultural scale, what used to be considered taboo, what used to be considered, oh, we can't talk about that, again, it became to be more and more in your face, more and more acceptable, more and more out in the open, free love and just, you know, free sex. All this stuff began to be in the open. Then pornography starts to happen and, you know, the magazines come out and then the internet and just starts to, you know, become more and more prolific. Entertainment, look at the entertainment. Again, don't compromise on your entertainment. Don't say, well, it's not really pornography. It's just, you know, a little scene in a movie. Why are we watching it? Why are we watching things that are sinful? Why are we watching things that Jesus had to die on a cross for and pay a price for and that he calls sin? Why are we letting it into our eyes and our ears? You see, this whole sexual revolution came into this nation and began to have pervasive influence. To the point now where you don't have to look for pornography. It is looking for you. Here's the thing. The statistics say, according to researchers you know, like George Barna and others, that, that the, the amount of people in the church that are addicted to pornography are similar to or the same as outside in the world. So how, how do we have power over Jezebel then? How do we have authority over this? We, you don't when you're compromised. You don't when you're giving into it. You don't when you're seduced by it, pulled into it. So um, God, is, God is putting his, God, all throughout the New Testament, God puts his finger on sexual immorality and idolatry. All throughout the New Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, into the New Testament, he puts his finger on this topic. This is important. This is huge. This is, this is an area where we cannot be flipping about. This is an area where we cannot just think, 
well, it's, it's just this, or it's just a little bit of that, or it's just, you know, no, you know, we all do it, or we all, no, we don't all do it. Right. See, the enemy tells the lie, well, all guys just look at pornography. All guys, it's just a guy thing. It's not a guy thing. It's a demonic thing. It has no business in the house of God. It has no business in the people of God. And let me tell you something. The gospel has the power to deliver you from your sin. The gospel has the power to set you free from it. You do not have to be bound in it. You don't have to be bound by it. I mean, Jezebel thrives in pornography. It it totally emasculates men. It's the least manly thing you can do is look at pornography. The total opposite of God's design. Total opposite. It's not because you have a sex drive. Let me fix something. It's not because you have a sex drive. It's not about sex. It's about sin. It's about lust. It's about perversion. It's about selfishness. It's about fantasy. It's about wanting to be the center and wanting what you want when you want it. That's not real life. It's a total fantasy world. It has nothing to do with genuine sexual intimacy that God designed for marriage. God is not anti-sex. God is not opposed to sex. God created us as humans. But he created a context called the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. And that is where sexual intimacy, God blesses it and he permits it. And he, and he, and he wants that to be part of that, that, that marriage relationship. But outside of that, it's called immorality. It misses the mark of God's design. In the church, we have literally just like gave a pass to pornography. We've just been like, we just, we think it's such a big problem. It's just so many people just do it. We just, we just. And I'm not here to condemn. I'm not here to make you feel guilty, but I'm here to convict. And I hope the Holy Spirit's here to convict. Because, because listen to me, that thing will, will, will destroy your life. When I was 19 years old, I got dramatically saved delivered over 20 years ago. God delivered me. God set me free. Never looked at pornography since over 20 years. That's by the grace of God. I'm not saying that to like, oh, good job. I'm just telling you, I want you to know that this is the grace of God. This is what God wants to do for people. He doesn't want you to be bound by it and just continually in it and over and over in a cycle. There's deliverance. There's freedom. There's salvation. It's the power of the blood of Jesus. It's the power of the cross. To set us free from this influence. Number four. I'll be really quick on four. Idolatry. Remember, she seduces my servants to commit sexual immorality. And then obviously major idolatry, the, the Baal, worship of Baal, worship of false gods. And in Revelation, he said, uh, seduces my servants to eat food, sacrifice to idols, just dabble in idolatry. Just get, get involved in idolatry. So Jezebel lures God's people into the worship of idols. Right now, in our culture, you don't drive down the street and see a temp- temple to Baal, at least not, not at this point. You do see some stuff. You see, you see a Masonic temple, right? You see, by the way, that's idolatry. Freemasonry is idolatry. It's witchcraft, and people of God have no business in it, okay? Uh, that's something, again, that just becomes respectable, respectable or just part of culture. No, it is actually Satanism. I'm just, I have to tell you. I have to tell you what goes on behind closed doors, what gets done in the rituals, what happens over the course of time as people progress through those levels. Okay, but, but for the most part, it's not like when you go to India and there's temples of false gods all around, right? Our culture's not like that, but there's other idols. 
Greed is an idol. The love of money, greed, it's idolatry. Self is a big one. Putting ourselves above everything else. Putting self, worshiping of ourselves. Uh, so there's all, all kinds. Entertainment is a major idol in this nation. I am, I am so longing for the day that, when the, that the people of God get so hungry for the things of God, they could care less about what's on the television. They could care less about what movie just came out. Like, who cares what movie just came out? Seriously. Are we not seeking first the kingdom of God? Like, are we, do we not have a battle to win? Do we not have souls to save? Like, we care about the movies or the sports. Or they're like, come on. It's not legalism. It's love. Like, let's fall in love with Jesus so much. Let's fall in love with Jesus. Let's get so gripped by his mission, by his commission, by his passion, that, that we just lose the taste for it. That's what I'm talking about. Not just like, not just like, well, let's just stop by entertainment and then be bored all day. I'm not bored. I am not bored, believe me. You can't be bored if you're pursuing Jesus. The problem is, people have just been taught on a legalistic scale, well, just stop that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. It's not just about what you're saying no to, it's what you're saying yes to. When your yes to God gets bigger, you lose the taste for that stuff. I played football. I played football in high school and in college, so people just think, assume, like I'm a big sports fan. I couldn't tell you one game, one person, one stat. I just don't care. I just don't care. So now everyone can know. I'm not saying it's wrong to like watch a sports game. I'm just saying the obsession. People are obsessed. Obsession. Entertainment, greed, immorality, riches, fame, gain, position, power. These can all be idols in our land today. There's so many other things I could connect with Jezebel's tentacles, control, rebellion, murder, shedding of innocent blood. She destroyed the prophets. She murdered Naboth. I tell you what, Jezebel's behind abortion. Because it's the shedding of innocent blood. It empowers the false system of Baal. Why do you think so many politicians are, are dead set that abortion has to stay? Because it empowers their demonic kingdom. It empowers the kingdom of darkness that they serve. That's the truth. That is the truth. It's the shedding of innocent blood. That's Jezebel's behind that. We support Love Life Ministry. Sarah's here. It's a powerful ministry reaching those you know, that are going into Planned Parenthoods and all that kind of stuff. And we love people. It's not about bashing people. If you've had an abortion, we, I've ministered to many women who have had abortion to get them healed and set free and delivered. There's forgiveness by the blood of Jesus. But we got to see it for what it is and the influence it's having on our culture. It is empowering a false demonic system. There's so many things we could talk about about Jezebel, but I'm just going to go to this last part because I told you I could be here for hours. The last part I'm going to talk about is Jezebel's demise. Jezebel's demise. It does not end well. Elijah prophesied her death in 1 Kings 21, 23, it says, And concerning Jezebel, the Lord spoke, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. 
That's the prophetic word that Elijah got. Why do you think Jezebel hates the prophets? Because they speak the word of the Lord. Because they release the judgments of God on, on, on wickedness. Concerning Jezebel, the Lord spoke, the dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. And so God actually anointed Jehu to be the next king of Israel. And one of the assignments he had was to wipe out the, the, um, the, the clan, the, the family of Ahab as judgment because of the evil that they brought into Israel, because of the evil they brought in, because of the wickedness. And so Jehu carried out the judgment against Jezebel, against Ahab, against Ahab's family, Ahab's children. You can read about it in 2 Kings 9. For time's sake, I'm not going to read all that, but basically Jehu gets there and, 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 and she confronts Jezebel and there's... The eunuchs are up there, and he says, throw, him, throw her down. They throw her, they, she gets thrown off the building, and, and she dies. And when he comes back to try to bury her, the dogs have eaten her alive. Here's the warning for us. Because it doesn't end well for Jezebel, but guess what? Those who are connected to Jezebel are also judged. This is the thing that we need to be aware of. Those who are connected to Jezebel are also judged. Not only was she judged, but those, the prophets that were connected to her were judged. The false prophets that she raised up were judged. The family that was born through her were judged. Notice what Jesus said to the church in Thyatira. I read at the beginning, right? He said, um, I gave her time. He said, um, sorry, I'll throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great distress, great tribulation, unless they repent. I will strike her children dead. What does this mean? That not only does Jezebel get judged, but those who are connected to her. This is why we have to disconnect from the things of this world and be separate. This is why we can't have toleration of pornography or sexual immorality or witchcraft of any kind. We, we have to disconnect from it. We can't have any connection or agreement with the areas I've been describing. Witchcraft, the idolatry, the sexual immorality. See, when we have agreement in those areas, we're empowering this demonic spirit. Here's the thing. Principalities are different than demons that you cast out of people. A principality doesn't get knocked down because you just say, I bind that Jezebel spirit over this region. If that was the case, it would have been done Years ago. Do you know how a principality falls? When the people of God repent for their participation with that principality. That's how a principality gets displaced. Not because you pray a loud prayer. Not because you yell at. Not because. Here, there's two things that will dethrone Jezebel. Repentance from her works and moving in the opposite spirit moving in the opposite spirit of, of what she does. That, that is what will, if we want to see Jezebel dethroned in a region and displaced from a region, that's what's going to do it. And combined with, yes, the intercession of God's people, all that's going to go into it. But those two things, repentance from her works, repentance from, from compromise, from immorality, from idolatry, from witchcraft, anything connected to it, it's going to come when we repent of it and then when we begin to move in the opposite spirit. What, is the, what does that mean, move in the opposite spirit? It means, it, I mean, really it's just the fruit of the spirit, but it's, think about what Jezebel represents, idolatry. So 
Devotion to God is the opposite spirit. Devotion to the one true living God. Consecration, um, consecrated lives. Given to God. Worshiping God. Worshiping the one true. That's moving in the opposite spirit. Holiness instead of immorality. Humility instead of pride. That's a big one. Jezebel's filled with arrogance and pride. Stepping into godly authority and not control of other people. That's the opposite spirit. Instead of trying to control people, control circumstances for your own purposes, it's releasing people, respecting people, and walking in godly authority. These are the things that are going to displace and dethrone Jezebel. Let's stand to our feet. For more information about Threshold Church, visit the website at threshold-church.com. Yeah.